John 2, 1 through 11, my favorite. I, I shouldn't have said that before I saw it. Okay. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Thanks, Sarah. Hey, everybody. My name's Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am the lead pastor here at Zao. It's so good to see all of your beautiful faces here this morning. Um, I am recovering from a cold, so I hope you'll bear with me. I couldn't miss this party for the world, though, so I'm glad that you're all here. Can I hear that woohoo energy one more time? Yes, yes. When we were discussing what song to do, uh, there were, I, I wanted to do Party Hard by Andrew W.K. I don't know if anybody knows that song. And Cameron, um, our worship pastor, was like, no one knows that song, Jonah. But everyone knows Celebration if they've ever been to a wedding, which is the theme of today. So thank you for bringing that wedding party energy. We are kicking off a sermon series called Imposter. Um, and, and the premise of imposter is that we have all, um, if we have been steeped in American Christianity, we've been given an image of Jesus, several images of Jesus that are not actually very consistent with the Jesus that we see in the gospel. We see this, um, this Jesus, this kind of cartoon character of niceness and politeness, this Midwestern nice Jesus. As Rocky mentioned, I like to call him the precious moments Jesus the one who tells us to obey our mother and father and do unto others. And it just sort of somehow ends nicely there, uh, omitting the, the, the whole concept that Jesus got executed by the state for being a rebel and how those things don't often fit together. The, the state doesn't usually kill you for being just too nice. And this is, this is a process that happens to a lot of historical radicals that get accepted into the mainstream. Dr. Cornell West talks about how this happens with Martin Luther King Jr. He calls it the Santa Clausification of Martin Luther King Jr., right? And, and it's this idea that we just turn these figures, these complicated figures of resistance and rebellion into, hey, everybody should just hold hands. Why can't we all get along cartoons that are nice and reassuring and comforting and also don't challenge the status quo at all. 
That Jesus is an imposter. And we are embarking on a journey looking at some of the stories and ideas we have about Jesus, re-examining those and saying, who is the real Jesus underneath this layer of American cartoon Santa Claus Christianity? So where do we look to find the real Jesus? How do we know if the Jesus that we see in Hallmark cards is not real? Well, here at Zao, we look at the Gospels. And when we say gospel, we mean specifically four books within the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four different accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. And today we're looking at John, who opens his gospel with the wedding at Cana. Now back to imposter Jesus, this hallmark Jesus, one of the downsides of that Jesus, who just wants us all to get along and be oh so nice to one another, is that he's also really judgy, right? He's like not here to have a good time. He sort of looks down his nose at people and doesn't like it when you're having too much fun, right? He's sort of like a middle school dance chaperone (laughs) who's always just like reminding you to keep room for the Holy Spirit, Like, that Jesus is a bummer. That Jesus is a buzzkill. And uh, and that Jesus is really persistent in culture, you know. So I I grew up a pastor's kid. um, And I remember, like, as a little kid, just sort of observing. um, My dad was the pastor in my family. And observing my dad moving through the world. And he would meet strangers and they'd chat on elevators or at the bank or whatever. And as as we were getting to know strangers, he would have these like casual, lovely conversations. And then um, then as soon as it came up that he was a pastor, they'd be like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. I would see them kind of like freeze and do this mental rewind of like, oh, no, 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 no. What did I say? Uh, because they would have edited, right? They wouldn't have said anything fun. They wouldn't have made too many jokes. They wouldn't have let slip that they, you know, anything, anything. There's so much that we censor about ourselves because we've also been given in this nicey-nice Jesus, also a Jesus who's, who's very judgmental and kind of policing of our behavior, and in particular is not here for a good time. A colleague of mine was telling me um, that he actually was dating a girl um, So this colleague was already a a youth minister, was working at a church, and he was dating a girl who was in college, and she she went to a party, and she felt so guilty about being at this party that she called him from the party to confess and break up with him. He was like, you know what, long term she wasn't a winner, but it was still pretty weird um, (laughs) that people think that it's incompatible to go to a party to have a good time, to to be loose, to um, enjoy oneself and follow Jesus. But that idea of Jesus as this like stern rule keeper doesn't actually square with the Gospels. And actually next week, um, we're going to be going deeper into Jesus's complicated relationship with rules and the law. Um, Jesus broke a lot of them. So, uh, so we're going to get into that next week. But for today, I want to talk about um, why it is that we have um, this Jesus that's so different. Why it is that real Jesus actually has nothing to do with that terrible middle school dance. That Jesus is actually throwing his own parties that are lavish and wild. And that Jesus... Um, our Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, is really, really different. He was called a drunk. Um, He was accused of hanging out with sinners, pagans, and the unclean, which like those words may or may not mean a lot to us now, but it was coded language. 
It's the same kind of thing that you would hear now if Jesus was accused of hanging out with criminals or illegals or thugs. This coded language, Jesus was always hanging with folks who society had, um, had put aside and had, had demonized intentionally. And Jesus wasn't concerned with respectability politics. Jesus was all about the people on the margins, as Rocky mentioned at the top. So Jesus was hanging with the folks who were considered the wrong crowd. And what did he do with them? Well, he ate and drank. And he was called a drunk. The religious authorities that uh, were accusing him were all very straight-laced. They loved the rules. It was was what defined them against the rest of culture. So they used to weigh out everything. You're supposed to give 10% of what you had back to the temple. That was the deal. That was the law. And so just like to be super showy about it, they would weigh out their spices and take 10% of of their little spice pile and give that. And, And Jesus just wasn't here for it. He wasn't here for it. He was like, y'all are hypocrites. Um, this, is, this is something that you're doing for show. And that's the real buzzkill, right? Is somebody who is, is performing holiness. Somebody who's so concerned with appearances. That's what kills a party. So we have this idea of imposter Jesus as a buzzkill, as the middle school dance chaperone. But that's much more like the folks that used to really get mad at Jesus, Because he wasn't concerned with performative holiness. And actually, his holiness had a really different edge to it because Jesus was the life of the party. And to prove that, we're going to dive into the wedding at Cana. So when these four Gospels tell the story of Jesus, they all have different perspectives. And each Gospel, each book, has different stories, sometimes sometimes stories that, that don't line up or same stories in different order. Now, There are some people who get all bent out of shape about this, and they try and make the facts line up exactly. But it's more like if you were to talk to four of your own friends and ask them to describe you and talk about the times that they spent with you. They're going to have different stories they emphasize, and they might get those stories in a different order. But you'll have a better picture of yourself from talking to four people than talking to just one. And that's kind of what the Gospels are like. So, um, so different Gospels have different priorities. Luke uh, is, one, is my favorite Gospel, I'll, I'll confess. Um, I know that means nothing, and it makes me sound like a total nerd. Um, but Luke is the Gospel that's all about justice. Luke's Gospel is about the great reversal. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first, and the mighty will fall from their thrones. It's all very dramatic. I love it. Um, So, for instance, in Luke's gospel, the first story is about Jesus going to his hometown, preaching a sermon that's, like, so radical that everyone gets mad and threatens to throw him off a cliff. (sighs) In John, John is much more concerned with Jesus who is holy, Jesus who is God. John is concerned that you understand that this is God here on earth, that Jesus is divine and pure and powerful. So you would think that John would be the least likely to tell you about how Jesus got everybody drunk at a wedding, right? Wrong. That's the first story that John tells. The first major story. John is concerned with you understanding the breadth of holiness, the lavishness of holiness, because holiness holiness means something different when it comes to Jesus. So in John, the first miracle is a party that was almost a bummer until Jesus made a miraculous booze run. (laughs) So the setting is a wedding. And weddings in ancient Palestine lasted a week. 
Weddings were a part of life. They were a part of human life. It was a very human thing that Jesus was showing up into. And it was, it was a celebration of relationship, of intimacy, of coming together, of connection. And on the third day, which is John being very fancy and holy, and we'll get back to that, but remember, on the third day, they ran out of wine. And like, that's a pretty big party foul on behalf of the host. You were supposed to have wine that was flowing through the entire week-long celebration. And if it, if it stopped halfway through, that was like, it was a bummer. So Mary and Jesus have this exchange about it, and that exchange is very rich. I won't go into it right now, except to say that if any of you clock that he's like, woman, just know that he's not actually being rude. <laughs> that, that there is this really beautiful uh, exchange between Jesus and Mary as she is offering him an invitation into his own power. But it culminates in Jesus turning six cisterns that hold 30 gallons of water into wine. That's 180 gallons of wine. That's a thousand bottles of wine. That's like too much wine, Jesus. And when somebody comes to taste it, they discover that it's not just wine. It's good wine. It's the best wine. And the protocol, and scripture notes this, like scripture notes that the steward is like, this is bananas. The protocol here is to start out with the good stuff, get everybody drunk. Three days into their drunken party, they're not going to notice if we slip them the cheap wine. So why would you wait until now to bust out the good stuff? What is this supposed to mean? Well, the author of this story, the author of John, frames it with language of grace. This is what grace looks like, a miracle of abundance. One commentator, Caroline Lewis, says, it's a sign of abundance that manifests what grace upon grace tastes like. It tastes like the best wine, more than you could possibly want or drink when you least expect it. The gospel calls this a sign and not a miracle because it's supposed to point to the character of Jesus and therefore the character of God. This miracle tells us something. It's not just for show. It's evidence of who God is. That third day that I mentioned, it's pointing towards the end of the story. It's pointing towards the cross and the death of Jesus. But then on the third day, the resurrection. And that means that this new wine is, is foretelling the resurrection, that when the wine has run out, there will be more. There will be a miracle that God will come. But it, this metaphor works in reverse too. It's not just that the wine at the wedding is like the resurrection of Jesus. It's telling us that the resurrection of Jesus after death at the hands of empire is like busting out new, beautiful, delicious wine halfway through a party that you thought was over. Jesus' resurrection is like more abundance than can even be consumed. And John repeats this throughout the gospel, that Jesus is here to bring life and life abundant, that there is more than we think there is, that we will, we will go and our thirst will be quenched. John calls Jesus the bread of life. Jesus says, whoever comes to me will not be hungry. But there's a distinction here as well. Because while bread is nourishment, 
Bread is sustenance. Wine is about joy and prosperity and frivolity and all of those things that that middle school dance chaperone just doesn't understand. (laughs) This is about bread and roses. Does anybody know that phrase, bread and roses? It comes from uh, union organizing. It comes from women in the labor movement at the, turn of the, tw- at the beginning of the 20th century. It comes from women in the textile industry who were striking for better conditions, but they said, we don't just want to survive. We want to thrive. We want joy and beauty. There's a beautiful poem that became a song that has become a rallying cry of union organizing. And it says, hearts, hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. Jesus is here for more than bread, but roses too. Wine, celebration, prosperity, and abundance. Yes, Jesus is here to heal the sick and feed the hungry because bodies are hungry, but also hungry hearts yearning for more. Doesn't your heart yearn for more? How can we receive this wine of abundance? How do we take this in? Well, Jesus is like, y'all not even ready for this. You don't even know. You don't even get it. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skin. And the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And if you don't know a lot about wine and wine containment, that's fine. Jesus is just saying, I have brought you something that you don't even know how to receive because your structures, your systems, your imaginations are too small, are too worn. The abundance of Jesus looks so fundamentally different from the scarcity of this world that it cannot be held by our current structures or by our current imaginations. We need new containers, new structures, new imagination for the abundance that Jesus is here to provide. We need new church, y'all. And this is part of what Zhao is about, is about saying the church that is, the church that is to come cannot be contained in the structures that are, cannot be contained in the systems of old, that we need to dream different ways of being church. We need to dream of different ways of receiving that wine and that abundance. As Rocky mentioned, Zhao, the Greek, it means to be fully alive, not dead, among the living. And so we build new wineskins Even in our old and faithful places, we imagine new ways of doing church, new ways of receiving and offering out the love of God. And one of the reasons that we call this place Zao House and not Zao is because we know that the church is not this building and cannot be contained by it. That God pours out of us like wine into the community, into the world. That Zhao, the church, the body of Christ, cannot be contained in any building or structure or denomination. We meet in bars. We meet on the beach. It happens in people's homes. It pours out during late night phone calls or early morning sunrise hikes or at the end of your shift when you find yourself sitting with your coworker because y'all have had a tough, tough day. 
We pour out like new wine into the world of God's abundance. And this wine that is poured out, it is plentiful, and it is beautiful, and it is holy, and it is beyond our wildest imaginations. And Jesus gave us another image of wine on the night that he was betrayed and arrested. His blood poured out for all. Because new wine and abundance and prosperity look different than we could have imagined. And it comes with love and suffering and sacrifice. But it comes for us, for the forgiveness of all, that one day we may all be free, that we could turn our mourning into dancing, that we could toast with the wine that is the blood and sweat and tears and creativity and joy and beauty and abundance of our God, that we can say our life has bread and roses, and damn, that Jesus guy really knows how to party. Will you pray with me? God of abundance, God of joy and celebration, God who shows up with more than we need at the moment we least expect it. God, pour out your prosperity and your abundance in our lives. God, our bodies are hungry and broken. Our world experiences oppression and injustice. God, we long for healing, for the basics. We yearn to be free. And also, God, We yearn to be joyful. We yearn for abundance. We yearn for more than we could imagine. We thank you for being a God who promises us bread and roses. Come heal us and come celebrate with us. In your name we pray. Amen.